Growing and scaling a business is complex. It can be very scary and lonely trying to navigate it all. It comes down to the community of trusted people you surround yourself with. Let's dive in to the Business is People podcast. Very excited today to have our special guest, Attorney Walter Foster. He's a business attorney with a focus on employment law issues from the firm of Eckert Siemens. And it's about the hot topic we're all talking about right now is how to deal with a hybrid workforce. So we're going to just jump right into it. Walter, thank you for coming on today. And what are you hearing out there? Well, uh, thank you very much, Khan, for having me on. It's great to join you. We're hearing a lot. There's a lot of chatter about what returning to the workforce or returning to the office, if there is an office, is going to look like. So the dialogues are happening at every level. Certainly have been happening for a number of months to folks as we kind of reemerge and vaccination rates go up and uh, the world begins again in earnest. So looking at what are the options there, there's all kinds of discussions going on out there. Who's starting the discussion? Is it the HR department? Is it the CEO? Like where are you seeing the ones starting it and where are you seeing the ones that actually need to be the one implementing it? So what we're seeing amongst our clients is it's really first and forefront around the C-suite because so many questions are asking many individuals, you know, whatever firm you're at, if you're selling real estate or you're a CPA firm or a law firm or any kind of insurance company, any business out there has been for a while looking at, okay, we've been doing X, Y, and Z where people have been out of the office for so long. People are absolutely inquiring about what's next. But what we're seeing is it's on the agenda item at that weekly C-suite meeting. So I think that it's been on the agenda and people have begun to be talking about it to the degree where many are beginning to implement the first step of that plan of returning to work. Is it steps? Is it phases? Or does it have to be done all at once? What's the best way to approach this? Again, I know it's new. It's a new policy for everybody. But how are you advising your clients? So like anything else, right, it's got to be a well thought out plan and give some real thought to what does it look like. So the smarter firms are not just doing this on their own, you know, unilaterally. What they're looking at are what are the options and what are the desires of people, you know, in terms of their workforce and what the needs are. So they're building off of the experience of the last year where almost everybody who's really almost 100% remote. So some had skeletal staffs, others had, you know, kind of switching of days or what have you. But essentially, the better approach here is to do it all at once, because you're changing an entire culture. So when you're doing that, it's going to have an impact. If you bring everybody back, let's take the example, let's just bring everybody back. Let's go back to exactly the way we were, which we hear out there a lot. That's the old, shall we say, the old method of test it out, see if it works. And then if we don't, we'll amend it. The the better firms are thinking about this in a very strategic way. They've made a lot of savings over the years. So I'm going to give you the example of a number of clients we know that over the last year, we helped them out where, quite frankly, they streamlined their um, personnel and their processes in order to deal with COVID. And as part of that, they really did, in some cases, some of the very hard lift work, which was, oh, we can actually do the same amount of work with 80% of our staff. Now, that's been really difficult on people. That's why there's been a safety net from the state and federal government. But we are in nothing short of a transformative uh, period for how business is getting done. Most businesses have been working throughout this with many iterations already. Those businesses are saying, okay, do we need to return to the 100% and does that all need to be in person? So again, the best ones really think about it, put a plan in that they think will work in order to make it work instead of doing like, let's try this incrementally. Generally, those you know, have some real um, downsides to them potentially. And we're going to unpack this much, much more. And I'm excited to dive into this because I talked to so many other owners and businesses too, because we, we work with HR departments, right? Say, so, okay, how do we deliver this message? How do we get buy-in? How do we onboard new employees to this new way of life? So what are the major challenges that you're hearing, seeing to having a hybrid workplace? So th- there are a number of challenges, but the first one is feasibility. Unfortunately, in a way, experience is the mother of invention. 
If companies were able to deliver their products, say like software as a service or sales or whatever it was, and they were able to deliver that during the past year, they've looked at that as a lesson. It's like, what does it take for the team to work together to develop the product, bring it to market, and then you know, also sell it? So they have some data based on the last year. And the very first thing that we're seeing is that most companies are at least exploring not going back to work the way it was. So we see a very small percentage of companies that are saying, yep, I'm going to just do everything I was doing the exact same way, whatever that date was in your state or wherever, March of 2020, because the year that will live in infamy. And, and so few are taking that approach because they have great lessons that they've learned and they're going to capitalize on them. So the first real uh, obstacle or at least issue is feasibility. What can be done based on the project mission of the company and who are we doing it with? One example that I'll give you that to me has been organic over the last year is that particularly younger folks who were more, shall we say, um, had more mobility that maybe didn't own a home, they just rented. They had decided and were able to work remotely in that case from many different states and they actually made the move to the different states. So I know I have uh, three kids all in the workplace and I know a number of their friends that said, listen, you know, I work for company X, it's headquartered in California, but my significant other and I really love Vermont. And they decamped to Vermont for eight months and performed their jobs admirably. So many of the larger companies that had already had this kind of an approach, at least it was on the radar screen, but for many other companies that had never done this before and were shocked that we, how do we do this? You know, it's like, oh, we have all the tools to do this. It's really wasn't as difficult as we thought. We all learned about Zoom or Teams, <laughs> whichever, pick your uh, screen poison there. And, but they have learned and they're either gonna embrace that, but they're looking at, okay, we now have a workforce that's already living in 12, 18, 20 different states and we can still do it. What most companies are seeing with that one piece is our potential labor pool has now expanded exponentially. And smart companies are cluing into this, particularly any of the companies that are dealing on the intelligence economy, right? So I need a higher ed, I need this scientist, I need a molecular biologist. Guess what? We can work with the lab that's you know, headquartered out in Hawaii. It's not an issue anymore. And we'll still be able to do our quarterly trips. So now you're expanding the reach both nationally and of course, internationally. So I think if anything, for me, what I'm seeing is the transformation is making the world much smaller in terms of employment. And that is a great thing for companies of every single size, because it plays to the work-life balance of the individual, but also allows that labor now to be conglomerated or shall we say collaborated with a lot of different people in a lot of places. That is expansive. And I think the smart companies will see that as an opportunity. Well said. I mean, today I just talked to a software company who we were talking to potentially buy the software and we were just chatting a little bit. He's like, oh, I'm in San Francisco. My company's based out of San Diego, but I'm actually going to be moving to Sacramento. Like you're right. Like they don't need to be anywhere close to headquarters. And then my own team has always been remote, Walter, like to the point of we have a bigger labor pool. We have a better talent pool. When I was trying to recruit a lot of the same people in the state, Massachusetts is a wonderful state. They get recruited and now they're going to Silicon Valley. Like they're doing like they're recruiting really good marketers and strategists and designers. And they're going to work for Facebook or Google. And two of our designers, actually one of them works for Facebook, one works for Google now. So they get recruited. So you, you do benefit for the larger pool. And some of my strategists, they would move, like they were living in Vermont, Massachusetts, Portland, Utah. We had one up her whole family to Costa Rica. She's running Zoom meetings with us and she's like on the beach. And then she's like, okay, I got to finish by three, which it was going to finish by three o'clock because I have surfing lessons. Yep. But like, that's kind of neat, a little yep. envious, right? But right. she's still cranking out the work. It's high efficiency and it's perfect. Right. And I think it's a mindset thing with leaders and businesses to, to be open to this. Of course, not every industry this works for, because sometimes you got to be in the office space. But I think yeah. what, what people are realizing is where you don't need to be, like there are new opportunities to use it, like you're saying, and benefits. 
I couldn't agree more. And what we have seen is the breakdown of a geographic barrier. It, it, its impact is twofold. The first is not only the reach of where your you know, labor pool can come from, and therefore it has a deep impact on the culture for the individual for their quality of life. And what the other issue you cannot talk about, because I am one of them, <laughs> is the commuting time. And the, the two drivers here that I think make this transformative is the geography of having to commute and then the cost. So you say, you know, I grew up in Waltham, I work in Boston, I've been down, you know, schooled in New York, I love the cities, but the commute has been horrific. And I spent easily two and a half to three hours, it could be, on difficult days to commute. And yeah, I have a cell phone and I can do some calls, but I'm in a car. <laughs> and, and every day I go down Star Drive and I'm like, oh, thank you, dear God, that was not me <laughs> that did that. It's like, where's the accident? Using all of my tech to like avoid and reroute and everything. Three hours of productive work in a day. And where often what individuals do with that is there's often at least another hour of productivity. But then I have, instead of, I'm a swimmer by trade and I like to run every once in a while. I don't have an hour and a half before I can go do that. I can now get some more balance in my life that literally the next day will make me more productive. So those two issues combined with what is the economic opportunity? So Boston companies, New York-based companies, San Francisco-based companies, companies at these large, you know, Amazon now moving to Texas or whoever, the value that they're paying, if you're able to go to a community that doesn't have to be a drivable distance to that one office for an, an everyday commute, just say it's further out. So Massachusetts, you could work and live in the western part of the state and take, you know, what is now high-speed rail, soon to be, we hope, you know, going out to the West to come in for your maybe once, once a week or maybe a once a month in-person lot. So I, I personally believe that it's going to be a bit of both, that we're really going to be in a hybrid and that companies will grow or, shall we say, uh, navigate towards either more remote or less, depending upon their needs, which is exactly how they should be. We have clients who are manufacturers you can't manufacture from afar. <laughs> you can't. But at the same time, I know of some workers who are overseeing what I would call plant production, but they can do it remotely because they're checking in and the software allows them to see, yeah, machine X has reached this capacity. So I know what the productivity has. And so managers and supervisors can be remote. They don't have to be specifically there. So even within what I call the live, you know, needed in person, it's very different, right, for a hospital, for a nursing care facility. In some ways, there's a number of industries that the solution, if you will, or what's going to happen is very easy. We need to still meet X, Y, and Z. But for many others, it's really the boundaries have been open. I actually saw a statistic the other day that around 60% of the workforce expects to be in the office less than 10 days each month at this point. And that's a dramatic change, whether that's an accurate number or a guesstimate or based on whatever poll is coming out, that to me is an enormous switch in the, you know, the employee mindset of what's working best for them. And good companies looking to retain that personnel they'll be sensitive to that. And they'll, if they can, they should be, in my opinion, they're going to be navigating towards this hybrid calibration. Yeah. I mean, everyone has a different scenario, right? Different story, you know, and I think we're all navigating it the best we can, but we have to all be open to, you know, considering you, you said earlier, technology, there's, there's a solution out there. And I think leaders and businesses just need to go and find it. You know, I think a lot of companies are coming out with solutions to help businesses anticipate the hybrid workforce. So I think for folks listening, like be open to it and, and look at alternatives, talk to other peers and see how they're doing it. Cause I feel like there's a solution for everything if you want to make it happen. So you talked about feasibility. What's another challenge that you're seeing with the hybrid workplace? So another challenge is basically, how do you even the playing field between your remote workers and live workers? So how do you allocate the tasks, right? And performance evaluation, but get everybody on the same page where now we're going to a hybrid workforce. 
So that to me is really, you know, expectations that every meeting now should be set up for the live people, but also there might be some remote participants. I think we've all mastered that. My wife was a teacher and this past year and taught in a remote learning program all year long, all on. And there's pluses and minuses for participants, for students, parents, families, and the teachers. But they did do it. And there were a number of kids who actually really excelled. That expectation and building in that technology to even the playing field so the people who are remote don't feel like second-class citizens because there is a lot of communication that happens in person. So you know, the tension that I would say some CEOs or other boards or C-suite folks are like, we got to go back to the way it is. That's not unfounded. It's founded on a basis that people work well together, they communicate in order to work well together, they have to be able to communicate both transparently and efficiently. So those are some of the issues where now if we're gonna do that permanently, what about the person is, okay, does Sarah get to be 100% remote? Does John get to be 80%? And all of this depends, how do I treat employees fairly where somebody's taking care of an ill spouse and really would benefit from that, but also remain productive? Should we make special exceptions? Should we make it as a prophylactic rule across? Everybody in this title has to do this much remote time or this much in-person time. And those are the real challenges. So that I find that you have the very next step where I think most people recognize that this is a real opportunity. At least most businesses are seeing as an opportunity. The meat on the bones is, okay, how do I do that? And that's the level playing field. Like, okay, how much of this? By, but I have this group category of people who really need to be in the same room. So solving those, I think, are the next big hurdle. And they're very specific to, in the facts of each business of how they run themselves and what their service or product is. I mean, I just can't imagine what an HR director is going through, right? Creating an even playing field. Can it ever be even? Because I think everyone, as an employee, you value that time home because you're taking care of your parent much more than someone else who's working from home and doesn't need to do that responsibility, right? So that for that person, it's a priority, it's a must. But then you're relying on the the employer to create almost like a score, a weighted average or something to say, you know, for those that are staying home and doing this much amount of work, or for those that are staying home and doing this type of work, like that is a weighted average of 30% or like, let's say it's a one to 10 score. And, you know, there's a lot, probably a lot of different methodologies here. Right. How does, and I don't know if you have this answer, Walter, but like, I think that's a real thing. Like right now, like you're hearing from people say, I want, I need to be home. I've been home now. And actually my father is sick and I can't come back. But if you saw, I've been productive. So that particular scenario, like how do you advise that? Sure. So as you can imagine, it's why I have a job. (laughs) (laughs) There are so many layered laws at this point on state and federal that have to do with individuals with disabilities, right? The Americans with Disabilities Act and under the Family Medical Leave Act, both federal and many states, for instance, in Massachusetts has a new paid Family Medical Leave Act. And they address a lot of these issues where you would actually have to look at the specifics to advise any client about legally if they're required to versus is it a business discretionary call? And that's really where we come in and hopefully provide guidance and help to our clients is um, helping them navigate those compliance issues. I will tell you that in the main, really the first thing that that implicates the scenario you just laid out is really within the ambit, even under FMLA for the immediate family, but the expanded Massachusetts paid family medical leave law allows for individuals to take time out to care for somebody in what you and I would call as an extended family, even siblings, as well as grandparents, where federal law did not. And that's what we're going to see moving forward. So that type of scenario falls within that. But largely, it of course intersects with business judgment, which is not legally determined. So we advise our clients, here are the legal guardrails, but then take a look at your business. Is this in your best interest? It very well may be. So if everybody's in that category or meaning the title that they, they have shown their value. So I'm going to talk about, first of all, the metrics for like, just take sales, right? Which are often a base salary with a commission. 
where the metrics are, how many sales did you make? Or were you able to reach out? Or how many clients did you bring on board? And if they're effectively meeting those metrics from that, largely on a business discretionary guys, like aside from helping teach your team the tricks of the trade and helping that, that's great for us. So maybe that arrangement is actually very easily achieved. And that's where you start out. It's like, like anything else, you triage, what are the issues there? But there are significant compliance issues that would mandate that it would have to be done versus the business judgment. I call it the business discretion. And, and that's where, at least to me, lawyers can be helpful to the bottom line instead of detracting from it or just, oh, I've got a problem. Let's go talk to our attorney. This is actually a time when you're developing these policies. We, we started out our discussion about putting some thought behind this. So developing a policy, even a telecommuting written policy, it sets out those expectations that, hey, you can have this, but it's not, this is not your job for the entire time that you're here. And you're not guaranteed to have that. Those are often just setting the right expectations. And you do that in a written policy and you do that by transparent communication. So that's why I think that's the challenge business owners face, which is what is the right policy for me? And then announcing it, right? And then being able to execute it, right? So small things like that. I know there's a three major tall orders, yeah. but that process is the same that all businesses have. And I, I think that that's where the focus is and getting the input from management consultants, attorneys, CPAs about where are the landmines here that at least inform those policies is critical as, as you go into kind of reemerge to the, the new workforce. I'm hearing from a lot of folks that they're more productive now. They weren't expecting to be, but then like, wait a second, I'm actually more productive from a work standpoint, but also I think from also, like you said yourself, I have more time to work out and that probably affects productivity, right? Because you're getting healthier, you're boosting your energy. But at the end of the day, people are saying, I'm more productive. Now my manager wants me to come into the office. They're, they're making it mandatory. How do you navigate that? You know, that you're going to see more and more employees push back. Yep. So how do you advise the C-suite to handle this? Because it's going to come up. Right. It, it, it is. And it has and will continue to. Largely the approach here, particularly with the C-suite, right? Every business at the end of the day, there is a labor pool. So you're lucky enough if you're all online, right? Like I just think of there are some businesses that are totally online, right? It's like they weren't affected by this at all. If anything, the, the groups, like I think of the Amazon and delivery and other stuff, you can have everything delivered. But for the rest of us that are recalibrating where there's pushback, what business owners need to be aware of is that, and, and that's why I keep coming back to the word transformative. The labor pool and the labor market has transformed and is, is continuing to. It's going to recalibrate with or without you. So you're either going to be part of that change or you'll be left behind and you're going to see the repercussions of doing it. And what I mean by that is an adamant, in my opinion, absent, you know, what I call, again, the, the hospital or the nursing where it's like, you can't give the care to Mr. Cunningham, unless you're in his room giving him the personal care that he needs. So all those industries aside, manufacturing, there's a slew of them, but all of those being aside, there's still a lot of other industries, you know, outside of restaurants necessarily where people are going back to that, that, that have to deal with this. Their labor pool has now changed, whether they like it or not. And so the sooner that they innovate about that, particularly if they're smart about that productivity pace, most businesses, have never done a business analysis of how happy are our employees. They don't, right? Like I have been doing this for 32 years as a business lawyer, and I consult with companies that are international in scope, some that are family owned with seven people for three generations and everything in between. I very rarely hear talk about happiness of the employee. They're, it's just not a driver. I'd love to go to, I'm not a B-school student, but do they even talk about you know, these, these external factors? That is now part of the marketplace. And what I mean by that is, is that particularly younger generations I have seen are very empowered about this. They are transforming the workplace because they're not doing, I know what I did. When I came out of law school, went to work for a large law firm, and I was their 
hundreds of hours every week. I was at their beck and call on every weekend. My first year out, I worked, you know, 48 weekends, both Saturday and Sunday. And that's what you did. That is gone. It's been gone for a long time, but this COVID part with the balance of work life and productivity is really coming in, into sharper view. And what I think companies are going to see is that if they unilaterally kind of demand that people come in, and I know a couple of friends where that is happening to, I actually know a, a family member who has a great job remote and has said, I am going to go look for another job because they're saying everybody come back in and there's no, I would call it, it's an industry that doesn't need to be. It can be done entirely remotely. And they're doing it because they want to do it. And I always say to folks, there's no law against stupid business people. <laughs> there isn't. You can make stupid decisions all the time and they're not illegal. It's an at-will relationship, which is this little word to say that you're not guaranteed a set amount of time or a set amount of conditions. You have to do what your employer tells you. That's the American kind of principle for employment. And But companies that are going to mandate that, I think, are going to learn the hard way because they're going to lose their personnel. So people will vote with their feet in a way that the mark, the labor market pool has changed. And so we're seeing this around where we have some clients that are in the restaurant industry where we're about to have and really have begun to have a summer unlike any other where everybody is, at, I think every Airbnb, every hotel in, in the continental United States is going to be taken up as people really reemerge and want to travel and do some vacation outside of their house. And there are many instances now where what I call frontline jobs, you know, hourly wage jobs, they cannot find folks to do it. And that goes into, I'm sure for many, a deeper issues but what I do know is that the marketplace right now is being driven by the employee side for the first time in many, many decades. And this is no different, including in any of your higher ed positions from teachers to grad students to MBA students beyond, you know, engineers, architects. They're looking for that quality of life just as everybody else is. So I do think that businesses that just demand it and it comes in they're going to see a bit of a surprise and then they're going to be swimming upstream to recalibrate and then ultimately put that in after they've lost people. That's what I foresee. And I think the smarter ones are saying, if we can do it, let's at least look at this. What does that look like? Then that's the first step. I think there's a lot of, obviously a lot of heavy lifting there to do, but the, the smarter businesses are doing it. That. How we've been advising too on this, like you mentioned surveys earlier, right? You got to treat your employees no different how you treat clients. Yeah. You call it client success. There's a reason why that department is so big and it's really actually gotten bigger over the years is if your clients are happy, they stay with you. Guess what? Your employees are happy, they stay with you. Yeah. And if your employees are happy, they can do great work. They do great work. Your clients are happy. So you kind of have to fix the house first <laughs> with internal, like we talk That's about the like culture and branding internally, make yeah. that strong. Um, and then everything else, just through the ripple effect, the positive ripple effect, you'll get happy clients. And you got to really treat your employees like clients. Like, what do you need to do to get them to stay with you? And actually, I was just talking with someone about this yesterday about uh, recruiting and putting job posts out there. I'm like, well, how are we demanding this labor pool? Like you said, they're controlling the marketplace. They can pretty much pick where they want to work. So we call them A players, right? If you want those A players versus the B players. How are you attracting the A players? Well, you got to showcase what you're doing, your culture, the leadership team, if you're doing community things, like because employees, they want that well-balanced company. Then, of course, it, everything equal. If you guys are putting out great product or great service, well, now they're looking at, well, what's the culture like? What does the leadership team look like? Are they, do, are they giving back to the community? Well, to do that, you got to tell stories, right? That's yeah. branding. And the flip side, you, you're doing that anyways when you're trying to attract customers. So- do the same thing to your employees and then all of it kind of works together. <laughs> I agree. And I also think, because I always try to translate it for my business clients, the metric in the business world is retention costs, right? Because what you get is overturn. And the overturn for rehiring, getting people up to speed, the investment can be very high in many industries. 
So you would lose in productivity with a brand new salesperson, right? That's getting up to speed. You would not have the same expectations for somebody who's intimately familiar with the product that's four years in. They wanted to do three days remote and two days in the office, but you decide, no, I, I want everybody in the office, even though their jobs often with salespeople, right? Is on the road. You know, so we we've always had remote ones, but that's how I translate it for many business owners where they're concerned that it, it, it puts on the cost benefit analysis, right? Like on an economic basis, there is real value to a company in its productivity bottom line, which if you distill it correctly, it is a happiness quotient from your employees and in the turnover of your employees, like the training, the management, there's much more management supervision that has to go in. So those two, and because they may not be the very first things, and in some cases, even difficult to measure on the productivity side, right? So on your typical Excel spreadsheets, like how is our productivity, which looks at tons of factors, but doesn't often say, well, how happy are your employees? Do you see a correlation between that? But that's what we're putting together. And I think the best way, I thought you said it very well, which was most companies, and, and I'm old enough to remember this, that they, they never touted their community involvement or what I call their conservation efforts, the, what I call the green, right? So I think every time I look at, I love architecture, building buildings, this is a LEED certified. It's going to be energy is efficient. We're basically moving to all electric vehicles. There really is, whether you're on board with it or not, this real concern about the environment and the earth as a whole that we live in and try to maintain that for our children and our grandchildren. That has taken hold. That was never around. <laughs> Every company now not only touts, but really communicates, I think, quite well how they give back to a community to show that they're not integrated, pardon me, to show that they're integrated in the community, that they're not divorced from the community and that they're engaged with. And that, thank God that takes, you know, multiple different forms, nonprofits and contributions. But most do talk about conservation. And, and how they contribute in that particular way, both within what steps they're taking and the like. That to me is not going to stop. That's a trend that has continued to grow and will continue to grow. I, I actually consider it a leap forward, transforming how we work in America, where we have been one of the most productive innovation economies in the world. And that has paid off very well for everybody. It's paid off very well for like, yes, you can now travel to these great national parks. You can have a standard of living. So I think most people have bought into this and are hard workers. I really do. There's a whole group of people out there said, ah, they're lazy. People are inherently lazy. And I'm sure it's like 2% of walk. Okay, but the rest of us are working, working, working and are dedicated towards it. And I think this is a great step forward. I think at the end of the day, if you work through these issues and really focus on them and tailor them to what your needs are, you can come out on this in a very streamlined, more productive approach. And I, I already know a number of companies who are well on their way. Speaking to productivity and performance, Walter, I think it's a good segue here because, you know, even as myself, I got to manage people, even though we've been doing it remotely, I'm always trying to find tools or ways to track performance, not from a micromanagement standpoint, I just want to make sure I'm removing obstacles to empower my team members to be efficient, to perform. Like yeah. I had, I talked to one of my team members and she's like, you know what? I really need to be out of my house. Like, could we talk about maybe renting and she's in a different state, renting a co-sharing space so I can kind of be in a different mindset. And I'm willing to do that because if she can be more productive because she can be in a different location, because some people can't work at home, but it right. is what it is. Let's just, you know, cause maybe right. they don't have the space. So there's a lot of things unpacked there, right? So is that required? Should that be a policy, right, for employees? And maybe that's something new they have to consider. Like in our employment package, we can also pay for this if you're working remotely. I'm just giving you a scenario here. I'm not looking for you to get an answer. I'm kind of getting to performance, right? So most managers are worried. Yeah, their employees are lazy or they're not being productive or like, you know what? Like, how do I know if I'm getting everything out of them or they're working a full day? What advice are you giving? Like, I guess what's too far when it comes to micromanaging? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So one of the talking points I had as an obstacle, it was breaking down the barriers to collaboration. And you put it very well, how you've already implemented it in your company. That, that to me is a significant challenge when exactly that, that 
in a hundred percent remote, there are folks where sometimes you have small children at home and you get interrupted enough that I need a space that allows me to just be able to think therefore outside of the house. So that actually doesn't help me. All of those have to be taken into consideration. And to me, it's consistent with getting the right tools in place. So the software tools, and it's really the meeting and the mechanism tools to be able to touch base, to manage and calibrate to that right, the, the correct level. Most people, even when they were live, don't like to be micromanaged. So I think of the, the cubicle floor space with a dutiful floor supervisor walking around. And I'm sorry, it just like comes to mind is like the call centers, you know, are you making your calls? And, and the next step of that is, of course, monitoring online. Like I'm listening in on your calls or whatever. Just say it's that kind of a position. I, I think those are the challenges. And I can honestly say, as a lawyer, I don't think I do Zoom before March of last year. <laughs> and I feel I'm an expert on it, <laughs> as good as a tech <laughs> neophyte can be. But the tools that are developing, because originally they would have these video conferencing centers. It's just, I can date myself with this, but you had to like go and rent them. But like, now they're almost in every conference room. What you could do before where you have a ton of live people, but there are going to be some people remote. That tool, having that tool in place, not every company has that. So you have to look at the suite of tools, both technologically and otherwise, to help organize and manage. And I think like anything else, you're going to be calibrating the level of the management. And so if you're going moving for the first time to remote, right, the issue of what I call check-ins, or having as an expectation that we are gonna do an in-person Zoom meeting once a day. It doesn't have to be every day at nine, or maybe it's once a week, but maybe it's a once a day allocated where it becomes flex, you know, where you, particularly if you're working on a one-on-one. -on -one. So the distinction being is like, instead of having a team meeting with all seven people on your Zoom call, that you really do afford one-on-one -on -one, and you have to build that in, but then calibrate it so that they don't feel like, you're looking over my shoulder. I do know my daughter went off to law school and they're now in COVID. We're allowing the LSAT, right? <laughs> Whatever that yep. is. Yep. You can take it remotely. You had to have the camera. You had to show everything on your desk that there wasn't any cheat sheet or anything of, of this nature. And I'm thinking like, wow, you know, that's come a long way from when you were proctored in person and you had a number two pencil and et cetera. And that's perhaps an overstatement of supervision. But in some cases, I think some businesses would like, we have to, we should just have a camera in their room, right? And I'm like, bad idea. <laughs> like, no, no, I'm like, your attorney's going to tell you, bad idea. Don't have that in the person's home or other stuff like that for lots of different reasons. But I think getting to a part that is, and some will see it as a heavy lift. I don't think it is, is calibrating towards the individual. What we're seeing is not monolithic, uniformly applied policies for times, dates, and meetings. Now you're going to become, if not much more flexible, very flexible. So there's more involvement that takes a bit more energy, but if it boosts your retention, if it boosts your productivity, then that's all worth it. It's all about the outcome at the end of the day. And I think it's a mindset thing again, Rolta, right? To leaders and C-suites to say, look, this is the outcome. You have to give flexibility. And I want to ask a, a question leading towards this is you might've already answered this earlier, Walter, but so like, so I have a baby five months old and things happen. Right. I might not be working and I should have been on a zoom meeting at two o'clock, but you know what? She spit up all over me, all over her. Now I'm going to take care of her. So I might right. be gone for 40 minutes. Right. Right. My employer is tracking my computer and like comms not logged in. So because there is software, you can actually track productivity. They screenshot every 10 minutes, sure. whatever. There's a lot of different tools out there. It depends on, I guess, like how much or how less you want to do. And I know it's up to really the employer at the end of the day. And it's also up to the employee if they want to stay in this company. But let's say they implement these things and they said, like, we expect you to work nine to five. I know you're working at home nine to five. Is the expectation says, we're going to give you flex. We understand you have to balance your time at home with your kids or parents or pets, whatever. And that's what you've been doing already. And we saw that you were productive, but we want to track you remotely. We need you to be online between nine to five. And the reality is most people are thinking to themselves, there's no way 
I'm getting distracted, but I'm still going to put my eight hours in by the end of the day, I'm at work at night. How do you navigate that? Like, are you dealing with those types of conversations with employers? So I haven't seen those yet because that is really the nitty gritty part of calibrating the metrics. And I will share with you that some companies are lucky enough that the value is in what I call the end product. So again, I'm going to use the example of a salesperson where some sales, it takes me a year to make the sale, but it's a five-year contract for X dollars, right? And, and that's why it took me a year. <laughs> Others, and it's like in real estate, I'm just using that by analogy. In today's market right now in real estate, as I understand it, things are flying off the market at a rate unheard of. The real estate person, if you have a real estate agent, which most people do, aren't really doing much. You know, they're doing the, the listing. And I know I've made some enemies on that comment, but, but in the sense of like in the old, you know, in other markets, it's, it's, a, it's a seller's market. They're flocking in and they're doing 10, 15, 50, $100,000 over asking price. But by analogy, if you have a company, so I know for, for us as a law firm, we bill by the hour and you have to keep track of that increments for our client. That's not something I worry about in a remote environment because the person has to ethically, if not, they're not complying with our ethics, is that we worked, I worked for a half an hour on this client writing this brief and we describe it in six minute increments. And we've actually, we're lucky enough in this regard, had that tool that covers that. I can tell you my ratio to billable hours, which is a software tool, right? That keeps track and I put it up there and I go, okay, I have this much time for this client. My ratio to non-billable hours is easily two to three hours a day, easily of work, marketing work or background work or whatever work that's non-billable that translates into billable. That's the metric for our industry. So we're actually very lucky in that regard. We already have a software tool. I don't care if that hour is billed at 8 p.m. or at 8 a.m. I work with, and you can imagine, a team of associates who are in many cases much younger than me now and have all of those desires. And what it is in that industry, it's just my expectations need to be is that it's two o'clock, it's my working day, I need this answer from Carol, but she's tied up right now. And so I have to rearrange my expectation to allow for that conversation to have. It might be just at a later day. And thankfully we're not as, it's not like a surgery room at a hospital, which is like, oh, the assistant to the surgery is a little bit late. It's like, oh, that's not good because somebody's on the operating table. So I think that those tools and where the flexibility has to come in is going to be both sized, which is finding out what is the right metric and how to measure that. Because it may not be just how many hours you were up open on the screen. It may be the value where some people who have, you know, particular expertise or experience about this kind of a client are going to get that same work done in less amount of hours. So that's what I think each company has to look at. Is it an hour based? Is it a product based? How are we already measuring that? And are the tools that are in place, in, in this case, of course, remote tools, and software tools, how are they going to be used to help govern that? And then the other part is that you will never do away, in my opinion, thank God in my lifetime, with the human element, right? There's a human element and we're not all the same. We don't all have the same age. We don't all have the same background. We don't all have the same capacity to juggle multitask or single task, right? Like some, some of us need to only do one thing, do that for very well, stop, put that down to the next thing. Others can do like 22 things at once. I'm always amazed that they can. <laughs> but that's well, they're not it. doing it well, Walter. They're not. There are scientific studies that it's impossible to multicast. <laughs> I agree. See, that's I. I have seen that as well because that was such a buzzword, right? Like you've got to multitask. <laughs> the answer is is that you, that means you're doing three tasks pretty poorly, <laughs> generally. <laughs> but I, I, I will say, like again, just by way of analogy, a software tool that didn't exist when I came into this industry is keeping track of our billing. It was do all done manually. And then there was a tool that would take the manual amount of time and put that into the system that would go right to invoicing. We now have a tool that does timing. I can click it on and off by a phone call, do it, put that client down, do another. 
the tools, the software tools have gotten so sophisticated. And I just think of Salesforce for first people being tracked now multiple factors or multiple touches deep and team collaboration tools, right? That's really the critical aspect, which is we need to meet project milestone X by this date. And so you can work it back in that. So I think the way people have been managing, if you're a manager and therefore, you know, business owners supervising those managers of how do we ensure that the productivity is there, right? You already have a starting place. Most people, most companies have been computer literate and have many of these tools in place. And so it's, it's taking those to the next level. In some cases, it may mean supplementing those tools. But I do think that's where you start as a business owner to, to, to decipher all this. Well, thank you for that, Walter. One more question. I think there's still one major potential challenge for, for a hybrid which I think you mentioned earlier was like tax consequences. Is that sure. something you wanted to, to touch upon? Yeah, I'm happy to touch base because this we are seeing for a number of our clients. And this really is where, particularly in the New England states, but now it's really every state in the country where an employee is now living and working fully remote in another state from which the, I'll call it either the remote or the headquarters are. And what we're seeing, I and mean, this happened in Massachusetts, is the payroll tax and the taxes such as the unemployment benefits and other benefits, which state do you pay into? Because employers and businesses have to make those payments. And it's kind of one of those ones, well, do I pay this to Connecticut, Walter, or to Massachusetts? Because Sylvia is full-time, but she's fully remote and she lives in Connecticut. Massachusetts has taken the position <laughs> that if you're working remotely and the work is quote unquote, performed, albeit online, to a headquartered Massachusetts company, that it's a Massachusetts employee. And New Hampshire, I know, is one of the first states that has brought a child litigation challenge to that, saying, no, if the person lives and works, you know, even remotely in New Hampshire, then those tax monies are due to New Hampshire. So we're seeing that just to, we're seeing our clients raise these questions. And they're questions that really require both usually CPA input because it's based upon how many hours. It really is. It, it's a very fact-specific question, but also you're navigating kind of legal disputes between different state entities. And it's a big thing. It's going to be a big thing in the future because that is a very important piece of the pie. So economic activity, if you could see like New York has its own tax for everybody who lives in New York City. If you lived out in New Jersey, obviously not within the New York City limits, you're not subject to that tax. But then New York can't build its sidewalks, can't run its subway, et cetera, with those parts. So this is something that we see coming up that businesses should be aware of, particularly if they have people living in other states other than where the headquarters are or if they have a what I call a toehold office and in a hybrid situation, you have five workers coming in or different people coming in, but they have employees living in other states. That's a tax issue that most likely prior to now they haven't had to deal with, but that legally needs to be on the radar screen. The remote thing, Walter, has been around. So it's just more like, I guess people have just been doing it however they wanted to, but now it's becoming more like a spotlight. Obviously, like people working remote, no, in California, but they're headquartered out of Massachusetts. Right. I feel like that scenario is not new. It's not at all. And like most things, it grows to a point where it then becomes what I call valuable for Massachusetts to make a move. <laughs> so that, that's, that's my, <laughs> my opinion, I'm sure, or others. But you're completely correct. And largely, it has been so small. And so, for instance... I'm going to give you the example of a traveling salesperson, right? Who has their territory. It's a making sales throughout the country and your territory is the Western part of the States. So, you, you know, from Mississippi on. And so you may live out there, but up until that point, it's like, oh, that we only have two people in the whole company who do that. So it hasn't been on the radar screen. And I think most companies have just been counting them in. And right now there's not been any friction between the States about okay, they paid it into Massachusetts because the end of the day, the way workers' comp and unemployment works is if you file in a state, there's reciprocity between the various state work unemployment offices to the state where the money was paid in. So that's actually been handled up till now, 
but we're talking about payroll taxes in large numbers where people might be leaving the state or have left where they're never they're not driving into the state anymore so because it's now a hundred percent remote that kind of changes flips a switch shall we say so that's why i think you see but you're right it's been happening it's just now the level of it might be more and more and more. well it's almost like whenever you start messing with people's money that's when things start to change that's exactly right, that's <laughs> so, that's exactly right. it's kind of like with online e-com right there wasn't taxes before now they, exactly they, right. and once they realize they can tax like states are making a decent amount of money they are yeah well Walter, this has been amazing. A lot of information. You're, I know you're going to be back on with a lot more episodes. We're going to dive deeper in certain segments around employment law. So this is awesome. And I really appreciate your time today. Is, uh, any uh, tidbits or, or things that we might not have covered that you wanted to share? Yeah, I guess the parting, uh, what I'd like to leave listeners with and viewers with is to, to really empower it as an opportunity. I mean, there's work to be done, but change is now expected where typically change in any organization was really hard to affect, you now have external forces changing the world around you. So guess what? This is actually the most opportune time to maybe recalibrate and do it in a way that does. So I, I consider, and I think I'm, I'm definitely, if you can't tell, I'm an optimist. <laughs> uh, I, I use the word opportunity. And, and I think I really think it's an opportunistic time for companies to grow and for people to have a higher quality of life at the same time. Yes. And like you said, it comes down to planning. It has to make sense for your business and hopefully businesses are considering it to evolve and transform because you don't want to become a blockbuster. That's right. That's <laughs> <laughs> I'll leave you with your knees shaking, right? <laughs> but thank you All for right. having me come. I look forward to our next session. My pleasure. This is awesome. All right. To next time, you guys, you can follow Walter. You can check out the other podcast episodes and the, the show notes to get all the information to connect with Walter if you have any other further questions. Great. Right. Right. Thank you. Right. Bye. Bye, all. If you have any questions and topics you'd like us to cover, please email me at podcast at or message me on LinkedIn.